If you would, please stand with me, take out your Bibles, and open to Acts chapter 20. Acts 20, verse 13 through 38 will be the reading as well as the context of our sermon this morning. We continue the story, or the, the conclusion of Paul's ministry in Macedonia and Greece in Acts chapter 20, verse 13. But we, going ahead to the ship, set sail for Asos, intending from there to take Paul on board, for so he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios, and the next day we crossed over to Samos, and the day following, we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ." And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God." And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that, the night, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. If you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you as we work our way through um, the Acts of the Apostles, or call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Before we look at it, let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for sealing us with your Holy Spirit, granting us grace. And Lord, what a blessing it is to be the church, your church. Give us ears to hear this day, I pray, and grant me grace and ability to communicate 
your truth today to your people. Bring to life any who have a faulty view of the gospel. Let them understand today, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. Uh, We're in the middle of Paul's farewell tour. Um, This section here includes Paul's sermon that he gave to the elders um, of the church of Ephesus um, at Miletus. Remember, once again, this is Paul's third missionary journey. And as he did in his second journey, he will conclude, or he'll desire to conclude um, his mission in Jerusalem. Um, Having been delayed in wanting to go to Jerusalem, wanting to be there by Passover, um, it was revealed um, that a plot for his life was going to be carried out by the Jews. Now, he, ends, he intends to make it to Jerusalem by Pentecost. Penta 50, Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. We see that there in verse 16. Um, although um, Paul's words here um, are especially intended for the, the, the elders in Ephesus, they also apply to leaders in the church um, to this very day. Um, and they are a model full of encouragement as well as admonishment. Words that are full of of reminders that we must not let go of, as well as warnings. And most of the text is applicable to all believers, not just leaders um, in the church. So let's let's be mindful of that as uh, we work our way through. Um, Last time, Paul met with the church in Troas on the first day of the week. We read that um, back in verse 7, um, literally first after Sabbath. Okay, you see the word Sabbath in there if you look at a Greek um, text, but it means first after Sabbath, first after weeks, first day of the week. That's why that is such a good translation, first day of the week. That's the Lord's Day. That's Sunday. We're here today on the first day of the week gathered together, assembled together to hear um, from the Lord. Um, Now, in verses 13 to 17, um, they record for us Paul's travel route from Troas, where they gathered on the first day of the week, um, to Miletus. Now, evidently, he was traveling on a cargo ship, and they would make stops along the way to unload their cargo. Um, Also, it's interesting to note that um, one scholar and archaeologist um, back in the early 20th century um, made note of the fact that the winds on the Aegean Sea after winter would blow from the north rather swiftly in the morning, and by the time of sunset, it was a dead calm. So if you put these two things together, he's on a cargo ship, and there's no wind at night, Um, They would sail during the day. They would stop at night. So you have all these ports um, along the way until he eventually makes it to Miletus. And it's from Miletus that he calls the elders from the church of Ephesus to himself. It's about 25 or 30 miles away. um, And he's about ready to pass the torch to these men. How do you say goodbye and what do you talk about when a change of guard is in motion. 
Because with change, there's concern. There's concern in the, high, in the mind and the heart of the Apostle Paul. So he, he summons these leaders to himself because he wants to prepare them for his absence. He loves the church. And he wants to make sure that she is in good hands when he departs. Now, his speech comes to us in three parts. Um, first, we hear um, of Paul's testimony um, given to these leaders um, about his own ministry, the time that he spent with them these past three years. In the second part of his speech, he gives them a specific charge, vital, a vital charge given to these elders. And then thirdly, we see his prayer um, as he gathers together on the shore with these men. So let's look at it together. In, in the first part of his speech, we, we hear his testimony, beginning in verse 18. From the first day I set foot in Asia, I was with you. I was with you. Now, during this speech, in verses 18, 31, and 34, Paul is calling these men to remember, to remember the past and how it was that he ministered to them. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility. Okay, let's pause for a moment. For a moment. Is, is this Paul saying, I'm so humble? <laughs> no, basically he's saying, look, I served as someone who's totally dependent upon the grace of God. Okay, and indeed he was, and indeed he did serve with humility. There's nothing proud about the Apostle Paul. This is a man who's been crushed over and over again. You know, humility goes out the window when life is easy and you can credit yourself for your own success. Out the window. Gone. Because we all come out of the womb with our chests out. And we'll all go to the tomb with our chests out. Unless God grants us the grace of humbling us by way of his gospel. Paul was a humble man. And he had been humbled by way of the providence of God um, throughout his life up to this point. He's not done yet. He has a long way to go. So here you have a very humbled, tender, yet bold, bold pastor, this apostle Paul. Notice, um, he served him, the Lord, with all humility and tears. Notice verse 15, and then again in verse 31, night and day I admonished you with tears. Both texts, both verses, tears are associated with the preaching of God's word. Why tears? Because so many don't believe. Because so many hear without ears to hear. So many resist. So many fight tooth and nail against the gospel, and they become callous to the gospel, hardened to the gospel. And then there's others who, who make an initial profession of faith, and, and they fall away. They walk away. They're an apostate. 
that is painful. That's heart-wrenching. And with tears, he served night and day. Why? See, eternal life is at stake here. That's why there's tears. The future of people you know, the future of people you love are at stake when you preach the gospel. So caring for the church will indeed bring heartbreak Many times, it will bring about pain and anguish, sleepless nights, thinking about those who you know and love that are not following the Lord. Here he is. In other words, my friends, no one is easily saved. No one is easily saved. More on that when we conclude this morning. So here it is. Wherever he went, Paul, he, he, he makes note of the fact that everywhere he went, there were trials and afflictions awaiting him, plots of the Jews to kill him. And you think your life is tough? Plots to kill him. Why? Why such hostility? Because men are not happy to hear a word from God. People are not ecstatic to hear from God. Now, the, the, the message of a God who simply loves us, that kind of ministry, well, that's warmly welcomed by all. God, in a general sense, he just generally loves everybody. But the kind of ministry that comes from the inspired word of Almighty God is much different than just God loves you and has a plan for your life because it tells us, the word of God does, that God is not only love, he's also just and righteous and holy. And people in a general sense do not want to hear of a God who's just and righteous and holy because they are unholy. Left to ourselves, we're evil. We hate God. Until God comes to us in his grace. That's why people say, well, to me, God is like this. It's because they hate God. Go read Romans 1. We hate God, but by the grace of God. So men do not want to hear, people do not want to hear about the true God. This is the reason, my friends, that the Apostle Paul's ministry was so potent. The ministry of the Apostle Paul was so potent because the Holy Spirit attends the true preaching of his word with power, the power of conviction and the power of conversion. When you truly preach, the Holy Spirit attends his word. Amen? The Holy Spirit does not attend ministries that are contrary to the word of God. Those ministries are impotent. They're impotent. They might be popular ministries, but they're impotent ministries because the Holy Spirit does not attend their ministry. Oh, there's a spirit that attends their ministry, but it's not the Holy Spirit. You don't preach the whole counsel of God, the Holy Spirit's not there. I'm a little worked up today <laughs> by the text. 
is uh, yesterday was our elder deacon meeting, and I said, man, we're in Acts 20 tomorrow, so uh, this will be our exhortation today, yesterday, so we already went over this together as leaders of the church. Verse 20, he goes on. He reminds them of how, notice, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Gentiles, to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, I held nothing back. Now, not everything Paul said was enjoyable but it was profitable. Amen? Not everything John the Baptist said was enjoyable. When he told Herod, right? Repent, for it's not right to, for you to have your brother's wife. Repent. Was that profitable? It was profitable. It wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't enjoyable for Herod, and John was beheaded. But it was profitable because it's true. So he tells us in verse 20, notice that, that he taught them publicly. Um, that would have been the two years he rented out the hall of Tyrannus. Remember that? And he also taught from house to house. See, this was his responsibility to the church body, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that was to watch over their souls in Ephesus. That's the shepherd's responsibility, the pastor's responsibility, the elder's responsibility. Pastor, bishop, elder, those are all synonymous terms for, for elders or pastors. It's to watch over the souls of God's people. This is his church. You are his people. So the responsibility is to feed the sheep. Now, the body of Christ also has a responsibility to her leaders, and that is not to create problems for those in positions of leadership. Can I get a witness? <laughs> now, those who do create problems, um, show, that shows up in many ways. Um, Spurgeon pointed out that they come in the context of petty quarrels, gossiping, grumblings, criticisms and contentions, and they are all little vices that fill the ointment with flies. You don't want flies in the church. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Oh, there's a, there, there's a word that our culture loves, submission. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping a watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would, not be, that would be of no advantage to you. See, my job isn't to make you like me. My job is to teach you God's truth. I don't care if you like me. I mean, I don't want enemies, right? But the priority is to feed God's people God's word. Whether they like it or not, this is what Paul says. This is what I did while I was with you. Remember how I served while I was with you. So there is no advantage for members to be a burden um, to their leaders. So pray for them. Amen? Pray for them. 
that they'll remain faithful to their calling, that they'll remain faithful to, to preaching the word of God, and then pray for yourselves that we'll be unified. Amen? And I think we see that here in this church, by the way. Remember, we're just working our way through the Bible expositionally. I don't have any agenda here, as though there's, there's no problem in the church like that, but this is where we are, so we cover it. So here's the Apostle Paul speaking to the elders in Ephesus as a fellow elder. He's passing the torch. The, the overseers, the shepherds, you know, Peter did the same thing, didn't he? First Peter 5, he said this, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Okay, meaning that for the pastors and elders, our responsibility is to feed you the word of God and to equip you for ministry. It's not to do the ministry, it's to equip you to do ministry. Therefore, delegation is a major part of the ministry within the church. Amen? Look at Ephesians 4, verse 11. Paul will write to the church of Ephesus, these words, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and, and some as pastors, that is teachers, pastor's teacher, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. Friends, when a member of the congregation calls on you, say when you're sick, or they come and they visit you, they offer to pray for you, or they perhaps pray with you, consider that a caring, shepherding call. This past week was full of that in this local body. Y'all ministering to one another. That's beautiful. That's how it's supposed to work. So that's very encouraging. To, to the elders and deacons of this church and how you minister to one another. Numerous occasions just in one week. It's amazing, isn't it, brother? He continues, verse 21, of, of solemnly, notice, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of, of what? Of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there, there's another marker regarding the deity of Jesus Christ. Notice, repent towards God and believe not in an angel. Repent towards God and believe not in the Apostle Paul. It's repent towards God and believe in his son Jesus, for he is Lord. This is what Paul preached. He preached Christ crucified and raised again, the Lord of glory. You know, he, he didn't minister um, the fads of, of therapeutic preaching like, like we hear today, you know, psychological or, or sociological messages. When you hear psychological or sociological messages by ministers in our day, all that is is a bag of tricks for charlatans who want to stay clear of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fact. The social gospel is not the gospel. The gospel 
is the gospel. You know, there are churches with billboards, and they have the name Jesus up there. Or do you ever get these mailers to your house, these, these local churches? And, then, and you read, I either look them up or if they have a, a little mini statement of faith on them, um, or I look them up, all it is is rank heresy. Rank heresy. It's, you know what it's all about? It's all about following the example of Jesus. It's all about following the moral teachings of Jesus. It's the gospel of moralism. That's not the gospel. You know, it's like learning and earning our way as many deities with God as our life coach. Who says, now, go be good and do good. Is that the gospel? That's not the gospel. I quote Michael Horton, who said, the gospel is not what would Jesus do, now go and do that. The gospel is, what has Jesus done? Now go believe that. Period. So if you have a WWJD bracelet, <laughs> put has in there in, in, in place of the second W. What has Jesus done? And then believe it. And trust yourself to him and you'll be saved because you need a righteousness that is foreign from you. There's no righteousness in you in and of yourself to be right before God. You need his righteousness imputed to you by faith according to God's grace alone. You know, you, hear, you read these things, and there's nothing about the atoning work of Christ, the fact that, that he liberates and he purchases sinners from their sin and judgment. That's the gospel, not what would Jesus do. The, the need for redemption, the need for forgiveness, and a righteousness that comes from outside of you. That's what you want to hear in a church. That's what Paul preached. This is what he's reminding these elders of. If you're here this morning and your trust, your faith is not in Christ, you're trusting in your own goodness that you can accomplish favor from God on your own, let me tell you this, you are doomed. God requires absolute perfect holiness your entire life, sinlessness. Anyone qualify? No. You need him who did it in your place. And then you become the very righteousness of God in, in Christ. So God sees you because your faith is in his son. God sees you as his son because you're cloaked in his righteousness. That's bare bones gospel. In verses 21 to 23, um, Paul's prophetic eye here um, looks not only to Jerusalem where, where bonds and afflictions await him, and we'll see that that will come by way of the manipulation of the Jews once he arrives there, but also that Roman chains will eventually bind him. And we'll see this as we work our way through um, the book of Acts. So he's given this prophetic insight, no doubt by way of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 24, notice, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. 
so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of what? The gospel of what? The grace of God. You know, notice, uh, Paul determined to, to die not for some hobby horse issue, not for some pet secondary doctrine. No, he, he decided to, to die for the gospel of grace, the doctrines of grace. Call it Calvin, call it Calvinism if you want. That's fine with me. Calvinism is just a nickname for the true gospel, period. The gospel of the grace of God, as we read here, is simply saying that salvation is altogether of God, from God. The Lord of our salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. Verse 26, therefore, therefore, I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Here again, Paul uh, makes use of Ezekiel 33 language. The prophets in the Old Testament were likened to watchmen on the wall. If you're a watchman on the wall and there, there's, there, there's enemies en route to try to take over the walled city, the watchman on the wall would sound the alarm. He'd blow the horn. And if the people failed to respond, their blood was on their hands. The watchman was clean. Notice Paul's reason, verse 27. I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Every aspect of divine revelation, not, hmm, let's consider, let's think about what what will appeal to the emotions of the people. Did Paul ever lick his finger and stick it up in the air to see which way the wind was blowing in order to please people? Did he ever do that? Never. Never. He preached the whole counsel of God, not just about the love of God, not just about the grace of God. Paul indeed preached that, but that's not all he preached. He also preached about the wrath of God, the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God. He didn't just pick a little here and pick a little there. That's why back in verse 27, did you notice that? I did not shrink back. I did not hold back that which was profitable. And again, not everything that is profitable is always what? Enjoyable. You know, too many ministers um, are terrified to do what Paul did, and that's preach the whole counsel of God. People in our day. Therefore, where do they serve? Three-week series on a better this, that, and the other. Right? Right? That's right. They're they're afraid to do this, and that keeps a lid on the word of God, and that, my friends, is the reason why there is a famine of the word of God in our land. Why do you come across Christians when you sit down and you discuss things of the Lord? You're like, wow, they don't even know the gospel. That's why. 
right there. See, boldness and courage are required for preaching the whole counsel of God. Because you will be criticized for preaching God's word, even from those who profess to be Christian. You know, Luther said this. He said, if you preach the truth, the dogs will start to bark. Let them bark. Let them bark. I've had people barking at me who claim to be Christian for years. You're just the messenger. Paul was the messenger. You know, parts of the word of God are unwelcome and revolting even to professing Christians, believing men and women. So they begin to see the preacher as the enemy. That happened to Paul. Paul was viewed by the church as the enemy. Remember when he wrote the church of Galatia? Look at it, chapter 4, verse 16. Have I become your enemy by telling you the what? The truth. Your enemy? You know, sometimes Christians get, get angry or they, they, they react angrily because of expressions of the word of God that apply to them. We're only human, amen? Prideful. Remember the chest sticking out? The word strikes sometimes. So, Paul... He preached things that were welcome. He preached things that were unwelcome. He preached things that were tasty. And he preached things that were unpalatable to many. But he preached the whole counsel. He preached the whole counsel of God. Profitable, but yeah, painful. But my friends, that is the integrity and complete honesty in preaching the whole counsel of God. It's for the glory of God. That's why we preach expositionally, because you can't leave anything out. Who would ever, what pastor would ever derive a message on, on sleeping through a sermon like last Lord's Day? That wasn't the sermon. That was part of the sermon. Talk about sleeping through a sermon. But it was in the text. Eutychus fell asleep while Paul was preaching and he fell out of a window and died. Paul was an apostle, so he raised him from the dead. There are no more apostles, so don't count on being raised from the dead. That was kind of the heart of that section expository preaching. Okay, so that, that's his testimony to the elders in the church at Ephesus. Notice now his charge, his charge. Verse 28, be on guard. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Notice, pay careful attention to yourselves, elders, pastors, leaders, and that has to do with the nature of the leader's life. Watch yourself. Now, notice down in verses 33 and 34 what Paul says again about himself. I coveted no one's silver or gold. These hands ministered to my own needs. Now, remember, until resources came to fund the preaching ministry of Paul, he was making tents with Aquila and Priscilla, tent maker. Remember? 
He says, watch yourselves, boys. You know, I'm amazed when I hear about pastors who use the church's money to put an addition on their own home. And then when they're caught, they'll say, well, I intended to pay it back. Well, you clown, what's wrong with you? I mean, that happened in this city just not too long ago. Or, or pastors who run up the church's credit card for personal stuff. <laughs> he says, watch yourselves. Don't go astray. Don't go astray, elders. Don't you covet. Don't go reasoning like the world. Don't let greed get in the way. And do not twist God's doctrine. Watch yourselves, he says. And pay attention to the flock. The Lord likens his church to a flock of sheep. How does that make you feel? It should make you feel good because sheep are vulnerable, right? Think about these animals, not the, not the most brilliant of the animal kingdom, but think about it. They're vulnerable, they're directionless, they're defenseless, they are not strong and independent, but are ever dependent. We are the sheep of his pasture, amen? You know, I did some study this week on sheep, literal sheep, the animals. And did you know, I did not know this, there are hundreds of kinds of sheep, hundreds of types, hundreds of breeds of sheep. I didn't know that. For instance, the merino sheep is, is prized for its quality wool. Did you know that? Oh, you did because you were a farmer. Okay, great. <laughs> the dorset sheep is known for its, its tasty meat. Did you know that? There's the, the Corridale sheep who's raised for both its wool and its meat. There's many kinds of sheep in the animal kingdom. That's quite a picture of the church, isn't it? Many kinds of, of, of sheep known for many things, various characteristics within the body of Christ, within the flock of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some are quiet. Some are loud. Some are proud and they're not happy until they find a flaw in another. And it's the only time they smile. They find a speck in your eye and they got a plank sticking out of their own. Unfortunately, there are some who are part of the flock like that. There are those who can be in the middle of a flower, the flower fields of Carlsbad in spring. They never mention how beautiful the flowers are, but they can point out a weed 100 yards away. <laughs> right? There's many kinds of sheep. There's sheep that are always irritated. They're, they're joyless. Some give you problems on a regular basis. Some never give you problems, but when they eventually do, it's a hurricane because they've been storing up bitterness. I had someone come to me once and said, I've been bitter for, at you for three years, and I had no idea. And then he unloaded. Right? Many kinds of of sheep. You have the rude. You have the unsubmissive. There are those that you must be rebuked, the idle who must be admonished. Many kinds. 
you know, some, some wander away for weeks. You don't see them at church for weeks. And when they reappear, they act as though nothing's wrong. You go, you okay? Where you been? Yeah, I've just been busy. Don't get that. Others are quiet as can be. They serve so faithfully. They're wonderful. They're helpful. They're encouraging. They're joyful. Others are prone to doubt and to depression. A bruised reed, a flickering wick, and they must be dealt with gently. That about sums up the body here. Now, speaking of sheep, the animal, they do crazy things. Crazy. It's easy for them to be startled. I told you about the story about six years ago. There were two shepherd families in eastern Turkey watching over their flocks by day. They were sharing a sandwich together, and one of the sheep was startled and jumped off a cliff. And guess what? Fifteen others followed. The first 400 died. 1,100 were spared by the downy, soft pillow that was provided by the 400. That's a true story. Yeah, $72,000 in losses, the 400, and 1,100 survived landing on the others. They just followed one after the other right off, right off the ridge. We're told here, the flock... They are to be cared for, fed the truth, because they were bought with, verse 28, the blood of the lamb. They're a purchased possession. So he says, watch yourselves and watch over the flock. As quirky as they may be, the Lord purchased them with his blood. They're not yours, pastors. They're not yours, elders. They're his. He's the great shepherd, y'all. Ephesian elders and, and churches... Church leaders today, you are under shepherds. Amen? He owns you. The one who's truly God and truly man is the one who shed his blood to provide salvation. That is the divine atoning work of God through the shed blood of the God-man. Jesus, truly God, truly man. They were redeemed. We've been redeemed. We've been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, pay attention to the flock. Beautiful, isn't it? Friends, you must remember that your life is in Christ. You must remember that you are a purchased possession. Your eternal security rests solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Completely, entirely, Rest upon him. And hopefully when you meditate on that glorious gospel truth, it will serve as motivation for gratitude. Gratitude. Creating a change of attitude if indeed you need an attitude change. Amen. If you're joyless, bitter, contentious, you think about the finished work and that you are right in the eyes of God by the shed blood of the Lamb of God, you ought to be thankful and it ought to put, turn that frown upside down. Amen? So this is the flock of Christ purchased with his blood. What did Jesus say to Peter? What did he say? Remember when he restored him on the shores of Galilee? Peter, 
Feed my, feed my flock. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Tend to them. Feed my flock. With what? Feed them with what? My word, because my word is truth. Verse 29. I know that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Savage wolves, fierce wolves. Some from within your walls will be exposed as wolves in sheep's what? Clothing. You know, any time a flock of sheep are moving in every direction, confused, there's wolves licking their chops, ready to pounce, ready to, to attack. Yesterday with our elders and deacons in our meeting, we were reminded that the more God's people are rooted and grounded in gospel truth, they, they remain close to one another, and they're not confused because they're rooted in the truth of the gospel. Therefore, if someone comes through these doors and they're a fierce wolf and they have some twisted doctrine and they look like a happy-go-lucky Christian, watch out. When they see that you're not scattered and all over the place in, in your thinking, they'll leave. It's not worth the effort. Amen? That's why we teach the word. That's why we teach doctrine. Is there a, look, when you, when you think about secular society and how they mock the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, is that a threat really? No. So what? So what? So what if you die by the sword for the gospel of Jesus Christ? So what? You get to go to heaven. Right? But notice the warning is, is be on alert from within yourselves. Those dressed as ministers, those dressed as preachers, those dressed as theologians, those in ivory towers, and those dressed like fellow believers. The greatest threat to the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament, was it surrounding nations? No. No. From those within the gate, false prophets who were masquerading as sheep. False prophets declaring peace, peace when there is no peace. That was their greatest threat. Second Peter 2, verse 3, we read this. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. False words. Pull up your bootstraps, get out there, friends, be all you can be, go do what Jesus did, be the best you can be, and when you die, you know, if you've done enough, you'll get to heaven. Just try your best. That's a damning message. During our Lord's public ministry, those who led opposition against our Lord, they were dressed as scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. Today, they're dressed like Joel Olstein, Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, and Joyce Myers. And I could go on all day. 
And if you're offended by that because you listen to them, stop listening to them or start reading the word of God and testing what they say in light of the word of God. Why does he mention names? Because Jesus did and so did Paul. And that's my job. Beware, just because it's labeled Christian, it's not always Christian. Test all things in light of the word. Hold fast to that which is true. This is Paul's warning. This is Paul's encouragement. Verse 31. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So in, re- in response to that truth, Paul gave himself, he gave his time, he gave his talent, he gave his resources. Because as Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. Who are the happiest, most joyful Christians in the church of Jesus Christ, typically? Those who give. God loves a scornful giver. (laughs) Cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Show me a sour, contentious, joyless Christian, and I'll show you one who... If I were a betting man, I would bet they do not give, and if they give, they give very little of their time, talent, and treasure. Because they likely do not understand correctly all that has been given to them in Christ. There's his testimony, there's his charge, and then his prayer. When he said these things, verse 36, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And when they were accompanying him to the ship, as they accompanied him, they wept, is what that says. So here's Paul. He, he stood. He, he fought against false prophets. He, he fought against false teachers. He, he stood against hostile unbelief of the Jews. Their hero of the faith is about ready to depart. In there, weeping. As they ought. He poured into them. He taught them. Okay, so there's the text. So to wrap it up before we come to the Lord's table. All this stress... Okay, all this emphasis uh, that's laid here on, on shepherds and sheep, elders, pastors is for one reason, beloved. Well, it's for a number of reasons, but primarily, as I said earlier, no one is easily saved. No one is easily sla- saved. Of course, salvation is a free grace, amen? 
free gospel grace. But we're not easily saved. We read it throughout scripture. 1 Peter 4, he said this, it is hard for even the righteous to be saved. Jesus said, the way of salvation is hard. We read from it this morning, Sermon on the Mount. The way of salvation is hard. The broad road, the wide gate is easy. And although it leads to destruction, Jesus said, how many go that way? Many, meaning most. I say God is like this. The gospel, Jesus Christ, a bloody, bloodied cross, atonement, your people are crazy. Because the cross is foolishness to those who are what? Perishing. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to eternal life, Jesus said, and very few go in that way. Very few. Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. There'll be many church leaders crying out, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. We know your name. Deity, by the way, Lord, Lord. I'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice iniquity. You who tout and spread false doctrine. Jesus said, unless a man takes up his cross and follows me, what? You have no part of me. Men and women are not easily saved. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, left to ourselves, we're doomed. Remember what Peter said to Jesus? Lord, then who can possibly be saved? What did Jesus say? With men, this is impossible. They can't save themselves. But with God... All things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Why? Because God's son assumed flesh and blood and died, shedding that blood to save some. To make atonement for them. Conquering sin, conquering death, conquering the grave, rising up the third day and ascending to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, preparing for us all those who believe in him by way of grace through faith in Christ alone, preparing an eternal weight of glory that we cannot even conceive of this side of eternity. All who believe that are saved. It's not an easy message to swallow. Only the grace of God can cause you to embrace that truth. Amen? In Matthew's Sunday school class this morning, people have been saved throughout redemptive history solely by the grace of God. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. God shows his favor to whom he will show favor, enabling you to believe. That's a gift of God. To believe is a gracious gift of God. So why preach, repent, and believe? Because again, that's a means to his end. Believe the gospel. So beware is a good word, isn't it? Christians, all of us, beware. That's a good word. Be vigilant. Watch yourselves. Watch over the flock because it's tempting to say something new. Man, this gospel stuff is hard. People, you know, people aren't coming. We could get more people in if I just lighten up the message a little. Something novel, something exciting, but eventually you will move away 
from the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. May we never. Amen? So therefore, the call for you, beloved body of believers of Pacific Hope, pray for us. Pray for your leaders. Pray for this church. Pray for other churches. Pray for other leaders. Pray for other pastors. Pray for yourselves. Not to deviate from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Made visible at the table. Father, we thank you for your gracious gift of love, justice, wrath poured out on Jesus in our place so that we can come this morning and freely hear the gospel grace delivered once and for all to the saints and to freely participate of that which represents the broken body and shed blood of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. May we do so confidently and may we do so in a manner that reminds us of how wicked we are left to ourselves and it is only through the shed blood of your son that we are deemed righteous. May we rejoice as we partake together for the glory of his name. Amen.